Today's episode of the Bill Simmons Podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network brought to you as always by ZipRecruiter. The best teams start with great talent. Um, I include the BS podcast in this. Two of our most talented people, House and Jacko, my longtime friends. Two of my favorite people on the planet to talk on a podcast with because I would do it anyway. You know, that's how we came together. Holy Cross, Wheeler 2, 1998, 1988. Yeah. We were doing podcasts back then. We didn't realize it. Well, no one knows the importance of talent more than ZipRecruiter. They deliver qualified candidates fast. So effective. 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site in just one day. My listeners can try it for free. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash BS. It's the smartest way to hire. Meanwhile, State Farm. Unlike your friends, State Farm agents love talking about home and auto insurance. In fact, there are 19,000 agents ready to help your life go right through the ups, downs, and everything in between. Check out statefarm.com today to find an agent in your neighborhood. State Farm, here to help life go right. We're also brought to you by theringer.com, the world's greatest website, where it's just a classic ringer today. Andrew Grudara wrote about cruel intentions how it became an instant classic. Kevin O'Connor wrote about Kemba Walker. We have our, our uh, daily Game of Thrones coverage, getting everybody ready for, uh, for Game of Thrones when it comes back next month, which Mallory and Jason are counting down the 25 greatest moments, which we're putting on our Twitter and our YouTube channels. Um, we're running pieces every day. We're ready. Uh, Robert Mays wrote about the Kyler Murray decision, which is just fascinating how they're going to dump Josh Ray. What would you take for Josh Rose and Kyle? What would we, uh, draft picks? We have a second rounder? Yeah. We have a second rounder for Josh Rosen. Yeah. Yeah. Get that done, Belichick. Uh, Chris Ryan wrote about The Insider, one of our favorite 1990 movies, 1999 movies. It is actually 1990 movie week on The Ringer. Uh, College basketball, all that. We got everything going right now. Check it out. Check out uh, all of our great podcasts as well. Against All Odds with Cousin Sal, Sweet 16 picks. The Rewatchables. We did Pretty Woman this week. Um. Fantastic. One of my favorite ones that we've done. And we also have all of our MLB preview stuff and the guys in the Ringer MLB preview show. We have uh, two of the OGs, House and Jacko, coming up talking college basketball, baseball, Masters, my golf comeback. Um, it's all happening right now. First, our friends from Pearl Jam. <laughs> All right, we're going to call House in one second. Quickly on Pearl Jam, their Twitter account today um, asked the question, name a Pearl Jam show you wish you saw live. And that got me thinking about, um, I saw them in 1998 at Great Woods in September with my girlfriend who I'd only been dating for a couple months, Kyle. How'd that go? My my girlfriend of like ten weeks, who ended up becoming my wife. Wow, You're so, right, so went well. Nice. Took her to this Great Woods concert. I think we went with two other people, and it was it was right around. I I personally think 1998 was the best year to see Pearl Jam because they had they had a library of five or six years of songs at that point. They're at the peak of their powers. It was just like. 
you knew the songs by heart at that point. Um, so anyway, during that concert, somebody threw something at Eddie or something happened and Eddie got really pissed and threatened to end the show. I don't remember the full details because I, um, I might, I might've had some foreign substances in my body at the time, but, um, Eddie got mad and he was going to leave. And then, but then that anger came into the rest of the show and, uh, and it was just incredible. Uh, it was like one of the greatest concerts of my life. So I picked that 1998 one and then I went and looked at the set list and the encore was amazing. But then I actually was like, ah, I got to Google this. And I Googled it. I found some article that it's considered to be one of their greatest concerts, like in the like best five to 10 concerts they ever gave. Um, so just randomly, I was there that night. Uh, I was very proud of myself. But then that got me thinking, um, what are the best times to see a band? So I think we might do a podcast. I was texting with Kevin Clark and Robert Mays about this. We might, we might do this on the podcast. I think it changes for each band, but because um, sometimes you want to catch them young. I think U2 was like that, where if you if you saw U2, the Under the Red Blood Sky um, concert, which is on YouTube, um, which was one of the first MTV concerts ever. But when you saw that, um, just the energy and the youthfulness and just the, they still had a little anger. Um, I probably would have picked them for that. Some other people would have gone later. Um, sometimes you want to catch people super early. I think like, I think Nirvana was like that before Kurt Cobain started to fall apart. But for the most part, you want to have a few years with the library. So it's just 1998 to me is like clearly the answer for Pearl Jam. And I just randomly, I was at that, that concert. I'm really proud of myself, Kyle. Yeah, it all worked out for me because of that concert too. That's yeah, great. I really think that was when I was like, maybe I should marry this person. We could have some kids that will um, not listen to music and just watch YouTube all day. Uh, all right, <laughs> we're gonna. Music. So we might might do that as a might do that as a pod. I'm just throwing that out there as a thought balloon. Uh, all right, we're gonna call House. He's in Mexico. All right, on the phone line right now from an undisclosed tropical location. A colleague of James Boer, James Beard Award nominee Danny Chow, Joe House. How are you? Viva la Mexico! <laughs> I'm spectacular. There is tequila running through my veins. My hungry homie Danny Chow is getting proper recognition from the James Beard Foundation for his heavy food and travel lifting. Yeah, it's a he's, beautiful day in Mexico. What could be better? He's a nominee. I didn't even understand what it meant when I saw it on Twitter. And then it's like they they picked three nominees and he got nominated for best writing in the travel category. And uh, I couldn't be prouder. He's like he's like 26, 27 years old, something like that. What a, what a job by him. I mean, it's I a can't BFD. believe we know him. It's, it's a BFD. And how about this? I tweeted at him already. I, I hope that he'll still come on House of Carbs. I mean, oh, you think he's too you big know, for it now? James Beard. No, I'm worried about it. Believe me. Yeah, he might be. I mean, he he might have a PR <laughs> team. Who knows what's going to happen with him? I love, as you do right. as well, anybody who really loves something and just throws themselves all into it. Which we we are fortunate to have a lot of people here at the Ringer who are wired that way, and he's one of them. He just loves food, and he loves food. The way you love food, you love food more than I love food. Um, 
he really loves food. Like he'll go, he'll go to these weird places in the extended LA area just to try stuff, which is something, you know, that have has bonded you and I now for 30 plus years. What, what are you eating in Mexico? Don't get it like a, don't get the shits. No, 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 no. They, this is a, a, a super, um, well, uh, uh equipped, facility. I'm down at Mayacoba in the Riviera Maya, which is about Ooh. 45 minutes south of uh, Acapulco. Oh, no, uh, Cancun. Acapulco's yeah. on the other side of the country. Um, you fly into Cancun, you come down south. And uh, this is the site. I'm actually going to go play golf this afternoon at El Camelion Golf Course, the site of Matt Kuchar stiffing his great local caddy oh, wow. here, El Tucan, David Ortiz. Do you think that I already put in a request for David Ortiz to be on my bag today? You know that's right. And I have a gigantic wad of cash I'm going to give this man if we're, if we're able to hook up. Believe me. That's phenomenal. Great job. F you, Cooch. I love <laughs> I love your confidence with the uh, that the Mexico food isn't going to go badly for you. This is always how it goes. I you're gonna be on the I've bowl the last, trip, last day. Yeah, it's gonna get the food you. Don't is worry. Spectacular. I the last three times I I was in Mexico over the last like twelve years or so, me, my wife, at least one of my kids, or all of us, all got Montezumas. So it just happens. I don't, I don't know. I don't know what it is down there, but you just have the wrong little kiwi or something. Um, hey, house, we have a lot. This is really our time of the year right now. It is the best time of year. We have madness. We have the NBA season wrapping up and dumb award arguments. We have um, Mar the Masters looming now. I saw saw an ad for it recently. Got got a little got a little woozy. Got a little hop in my yeah, step. Yeah, the narratives are getting started. Masters narratives are underway. Opening day, you get to hate the Nats. Like this is really your time of year. Oh, I We're love the Nats. Yeah, the little we Ewing got rid theory? of Johnny Hairdo. Johnny Hairdo moved on to to you know greater environs. Like best of luck on on Broad Street with the, your fancy hair, Bryce Harper. Yeah, we didn't talk about that on the pod. Let's start there. So, I always get nervous when my team signs somebody for a lot of money, and then the their fans from the team that he was just on um, get just they're just delighted by the whole thing, and they think it's hilarious, and they're they have the attitude of good luck with that guy. Because I remember. Most vividly, J.D. Drew, when that happened, when the yes. Red Sox signed him last decade. And I was excited. I was like, oh, yeah, his OPS his gets on base, homers. And then I think he was in the Dodgers at that point. And, uh, and all the, all their fans were like, ha, 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 good luck with that dude. And, uh, and it was just a red flag. You are in that position now with Bryce Harper, correct? That, y yes. Uh, from a pure, like, what contribution is he going to make to the Phillies, is he going to to put the Phillies in the playoffs this coming year? Which is the expectation that everybody in Philadelphia has. They're not. That's not a patient fan base. They say, "Oh, we signed a guy for three hundred million. Let's take our time. We'll be in the playoffs two years from now." No, that's not how it works in Philly. So, yeah. from that perspective, it's it's best of luck because here's the thing: I could run down Bryce Harper, and I will in a second. But if I'm being properly generous and properly thoughtful about it. We had the single biggest star in baseball in Washington for the past, you know, six years. Yeah. He is the only recognizable face in, in baseball. Like if you put uh, 10 of, of baseball's top 10 players in a bar, the only one that most people would recognize is Bryce Harper. I think um, I, I disagree. I think judge too. I think those two would be the ones. 
Because Judge is so tall. You would you would recognize Judge for the height and everything. It's a great point. Great point. Yeah. Judge and Harper are really the the face of of baseball. And then Harper had a few holy shit moments was when he was with uh the Nationals. He hit a home run against the Giants that was a meaningful home run. He won the home run derby. I personally watched him hit three home runs in a in a day game. Like he had a lot of wow factor. He won the uh, National League rookie of the year, uh you know, the National League MVP as well. Like, you know, he 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 brought the the wow factor, but it was a team that never got over the hump in terms of the playoffs. We still haven't won a playoff series since the franchise moved to Washington and fairly or not, he gets some of that, that blame. Um, even though baseball, like hockey, super team sport, hard to say any one player is responsible or not uh, responsible, but they didn't make the, they didn't win a playoff series and and he was here and he was, you know, supposed to be one of the top three players in baseball. The, the concerning thing with him is batting average and more years than not, he's a he's around a 250 hitter um, with great slugging, and you know the uh, advanced analytics that you see out of folks like Joe Sheehan and, and and our own Michael Bauman and so forth have him you know posited as like a top thirty kind of player, but salary wise he's now a top three kind of player. So you know best of luck with that. Well, and you didn't even mention the postseason stuff. So what do you he- mean? He, well, just like how bad it was. He's been in four series. You you lost all four, as you pointed out, but he had 211, um, five homers, 89 at-bats, 47 slugging, 315. Um, I don't have the postseason war, but I'm sure it's not great. But just never had one of those get-on-my-back-everybody runs, which I think yep. I know baseball is a team sport, and I know it's hard to do, and I think it's particularly unfair with 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 pitchers and everybody chimes in. Um, I don't know if you know, but the Red Sox have won four times a century. So I have some experience with what it takes when you're watching a team get over the hump. Do you know that house? We I don't know what the Red four Sox World are. Series. What are the Red Sox? Won four in the last 15 years. Um, but yeah. at some point, the, the best guy in the team usually throws people on his back for whether it's a series, whether it's a five game stretch, whatever. That's why, that's why Ortiz, it's the number one reason he's going to get into the baseball hall of fame. Um, Harper just never did it. Now that doesn't mean he's never going to do it, but we have four series now where he just didn't do it. And they kind of needed it. You had it with Ovechkin, right? In the, in the, yeah, well, in it, the cup before he it became, took him 12 years. Right. But you had it last year. You saw it firsthand. The get on my back. Um, kind of syndrome or whatever you would call it. He really did it. He really did. It. Ovi came through. And now and, and is he still celebrating? When how's that working out? Are they even making the playoffs? Oh, they're great. Yeah, they're they're leading their division or or second in their division. Oh, that's they're great. Going nip and tuck. Yeah, they're 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 you know it's lining up. They had a very uh competitive, physical, great playoff kind of game last week against Tampa. Tampa's the best team in the East. The Caps and Tampa are like the early, you know, at this stage of the game, the favorites to to compete for the Eastern Conference. It's going to be great playoff hockey. Fuck yes. All right. You got 98 points. You're looking good. I, 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 uh, as you know, I'm a, I'm a casual regular season hockey fan, especially because I don't have Kings tickets and then the playoffs, I get into it. So regular season hockey, it's fun to watch, uh, as a diversion, but I'm not all the way, um, 
you know, bought in the same way as baseball. I don't, the only reason to watch regular season baseball for me is like to go to the games and sit outside and have a great time and take the kid and have some yeah. beers and stuff like regular season baseball. I don't care. Yeah. I, I still like the rhythm of, and I, I'm sure people are like this with hockey too. Cause I know I'm like this with basketball, but I like the rhythm of just following my own team with baseball day after day, week after week, reading about it. This guy's getting hot. This guy's showing signs of life. What do we, what do we have here with this starter? Um, I, I'm just, I, I like having it on as I'm doing other things. Sure. You know, absolutely. Even basketball, when basketball's on, I, I, it's, I, I just want to watch the basketball. It's hard for me to do a second thing. I'll do it. Like I'll go through emails or do a research pod or whatever, but I'm usually like concentrating and flipping around with baseball. It's just nice to have on. It's nice background. It's yeah. Like a, it's like a podcast. I agree. It's like this podcast. It's the way I feel with hockey, honestly. So you're not going to, you feel like Bryce Harper, Ewing theory potential for you? No, it's not even going to be Ewing theory. The, 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 Nats are loaded in the outfield. They had Juan Soto uh, was competitive for National League Rookie of the Year, um, and the kid from Atlanta just just beat him out in the last month. And they had this guy coming up, Robles um, from the minors, who's been like banging on the door. He hurt his leg uh, eighteen months ago, but he's going to come up. They have Adam Eaton. Hopefully, I'm knocking on wood. He can stay healthy. Like the Nats, uh, they picked up this this Patrick Corbin pitcher. This is this could be the best the best Nats team of the past five years. On paper. Yeah, but doesn't that you still qualify for the Ewing theory? If you won the World Series without Bryce Harper, I'm sorry, that's Ewing. He's a classic Ewing theory guy. The Ewing theory is okay. a media overhyped superstar who, when he leaves the team, people assume they're not going to be as good as they were the year before, but then they win the title. Like, that's the well, definition the only, of it. The only part of it is I'm not sure that anybody assumes the Nats are going to be worse than last year because they stunk last year. Yeah, I guess you you have the third best odds, and I still I'll, I'll talk to the Ewing Theory Committee, but I still want to pass it through. <laughs> I, you just, have to talk to the committee. He seems just like a, like a textbook dude. Um, let's talk Masters really quick, and then I want to talk about Zion, and I want to talk about Giannis versus Harden. Um, you're going to be covering this on Fairway Rowan, your golf podcast for the Ringer, a bunch. But the Masters odds right now. Oh. I love it. I'm just, I'm going to I'm going to rattle off the first 10. Just let me do that and then you tell me what jumps out. Yeah. Rory's 8 to 1. Dustin Johnson 10 to 1. Tiger's 12 to 1, which is ludicrous. Brooks, I lost some weight. Kepka is 14 to 1. Justin Rose 14 to 1. Bryson 16 to 1. Justin Thomas 16 to 1. John Rahm, our dude 18 to 1. Spieth, 20 to 1. Ricky Fowler, 20 to 1. And uh, Fleet, I'll give you two more. Fleetwood's 25 to 1. Mickelson's 28 to 1. And uh, Molinari is 30 to 1, along with Jason Day. Frankie Onions, Casey. Frankie Chipola. Any of those jump out? Just, just, just listening. The two guys, as we sit here, it's March the 27th, 2019, that I have a, a, a feeling for for this upcoming Masters. Justin Rose at 14 to 1, Justin Thomas at 16 to 1. So the Justin's. each of the guys ahead of them. So I feel it's kind of ridiculous at this stage from what we've seen out of Rory McIlroy 
He has been burning down the house. His victory at the players validated the entirety of what he's been working on really the past like 18 months. He finally got healthy. He's finally got uh, an equipment uh, deal that he seems like he can he can work with. Um, and he's had, you know, a string of top six finishes that is, you know, at the very upper. It's like not completely unprecedented, but it's like way up there in the history and annals of golf, this run that he's on. And you just don't go against him at eight to one odds, though, at the Masters, where, where for whatever reason, it's the last tournament for him to achieve his career Grand Slam. And it has in the past seemed to have represented some kind of a, a mental challenge for him. It's a hurdle for him to get over. And I just don't feel like I'm being compensated enough for that for that risk. Like he was in the final twosome last year with Patrick Reed, and he gacked off the first tee. Yeah, you say it was like a miracle save by him to save Bogey. So I I like Rory. I love the run that he's on right now. I just don't feel like I'm being compensated enough at eight to one odds um, for that risk. So that's why I'm I'm uh, down in this Justin Rose, Justin Thomas. I'm on the Justins. We don't recommend for a Masters bet really anybody who's less than 15 to 1 because there's no dominant golfer and there's too many good guys. And that's just absurd to think like 8 to 1 is good odds on anybody. That's why, like, you know, somebody, it's almost like the Belichick strategy with the NFL draft where they just want to accumulate draft picks and get value. And you never know if you're going to hit a third rounder that's going to be a first rounder. I look at like Fleetwood at 25 to 1. That makes so much more sense to me. Cause th those are good odds, you know. You put two hundred bucks down on that, even five thousand if he wins. Much rather do that. Yeah. Now he has to string together four rounds. He's been around the hoop all season. He yeah. just can't get across the goal line here in the states for whatever reason. He's still yet to win a PGA Tour event. I'm not sure that the Masters will be his first victory. Although that was the case for Danny Willett uh, when Danny Willett won the Masters. Yeah. Um. But like we we just. There's something that's holding Fleetwood back. Maybe this week they're at the uh, they're playing in the match play uh, competition down in Austin, Texas. Maybe he'll show us something this week because you have to uh, basically win seven matches to win that that thing. Um, if he if he makes another good showing uh, and his odds still are around that twenty five to one, it's worth a little bit of speculation. What's the biggest story in golf right now, other than my golf comeback? as I head toward my 50th birthday, um, the incredible golf comeback <laughs> I've had four, four pars yesterday playing with Nathan at, uh, at the mountain view course. Oh, yeah. terrific. I'm very excited. Yeah. There's no bigger golf story to me personally, because that means that we're going to play together. I'm looking yeah. forward to the next 20 years of our lives together. I've been well, waiting. I've been begging you for a decade to get the game going again. So that's Nathan, my biggest golf story, but the, wait, the but second Nathan, biggest golf story, Nathan, Go Nathan ahead. couldn't believe that I don't think we've ever actually played 18 together. That's a fact. We because have not. It's you true. started playing after college and I quit after college after my infamous 3754 or whatever I had that time when my dad didn't give me the putt for for uh for a par 36 and then I scuffed it. Um I still blame him. And I and then there might have been some broken clubs. Um, and then I decided it was a good idea for me not to play golf as much anymore and then just stopped. And then I had back issues and it's been a dramatic comeback house. What is the best normal golf comeback or, or golf story? 
Well, it's it's always the exact same story. It's Tiger Woods. Tiger really? Woods is going to be playing in the Masters healthy, we we hope, or knocking on wood. He has been biding his time. He set the golf world expectation correct at the end of last season at the Tour Championship, walking up to the 18th green, green with throngs of thousands of people convening behind him like it's 50 years ago, Arnie's army falling in behind their golf hero. Mm. It was a beautiful moment. He's back. The Tiger is back. And ever since that victory at the end of last season, all we've been doing is biding our time and watching him intently to see what kind of shape he's in, how his brain is. And I'm telling you, he's just been chugging along here at these events, collecting his top 15, his top 20, his top 30, just making sure things he's played a variety of different courses with different, uh, uh, um, you know, topography and different grass conditions. He's just getting himself ready for this upcoming masters. It's, it begins and ends with Eldrick Tiger Woods. There are other great stories. Rory is a great story. He's been on an incredible run. Can he collect the career grand slam? What the hell happened to Jordan Spieth? That's another story that's out there right now. And perhaps the most interesting, Phil Mickelson has giant calves and has been showing those calves on Instagram and, and Twitter. And that, to me, is the, the second biggest story behind Tiger Woods. But those are the storylines right now as we sit here. So the 10 oldest major champions ever, the, the, the 10th youngest guy was 43 years old. Ted Ray win the 1920 U.S. Open. I know you're a big fan. <laughs> Raymond Floyd. I think that was in Washington, D.C. at Columbia Country Club, so I am a big fan. In 86, Nicholas won the 86 Masters at age 46, and Raymond Floyd won it at age 43. I mention this only because how old is Tiger Woods now? Is he 42? He's 41, I think. 41? 41 or 42, right? Uh, I'm going... Wikipedia. Thank God for Wikipedia. Yeah. 43. 43. Oh, so Kyle C is 43. Yeah, 19 December 1975. He's 43. So my point is, this this actually isn't something that happens that often once you get to a certain age in golf. Correct? We sure, I just you're listed, right, but he I just listed 10 guys 43 and over who have won a masters. And it really hasn't happened for the last 20 years. That's not great. It's not okay. great, House. How many of those are the are the greatest golfer of all time? Well, that part's Other great. Other than Jack Nicklaus. I, I'm yeah. excited Jack for that. Jack Nicklaus is, is, is the, is, you know, Jack Nicklaus is the greatest and Tiger's the second greatest. Yeah. I wonder, what would you put on odds? 0. 0.5 Masters, Tiger Woods rest of his career, what would the odds for over be for you? Minus or mm. pl plus 300? Because it's got to happen in the next four years, right? Like to, to be really properly compensated for that risk, for like how hard it is going to be and and, and you expect it to be increasingly hard as the time yeah. goes on, not not decreasingly hard. Yeah. It's probably like 12 to 1, honestly. And that's being like, it's probably closer to like 18 to 20 to 1. The true yeah, but he's, like odds. He's twelve to one this year just to win this Masters. So the odds have to be better than that. You're getting every Masters basically. So he would be right now. He'd be the ninth. Well, the twelve to one person. odds for this year are a joke. 
the real odds for him to win this year are like 25 to oh, so 30 to 1. I see what you're doing. You're you're saying the actual odds that you think. Yes. So the last guy for o- older than Tiger to win a major, to win a major, not even the Masters, was Hale Irwin, 1990 U.S. Open. He was 45 years and 15 days old. Um. So the, we're talking now. Twenty, we're on the 29th year of of nobody has cracked this top ten of oldest major championship winners. So, all right, what are the reasons for that? I think over the last 20 years, golf has become a younger and younger man's game. With the clubs are better, the 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 weight training, the nutrition, all the stuff, all of it favors younger people. I feel like, whereas like. In the 70s, 80s, 90s, you could sneak the Jack Nicholas, Hale Irwin by people a little bit. You know, now it's like to ask somebody who's 44 to go against, I don't know, Brooks Kepka, just physically, it's just, it's no contest. They're just not going to be able to physically get there to where somebody like Brooks Kepka would. Am I, am I right or wrong on this? Well, he, here's my rebuttal. Okay. In the same way that diet and equipment and, um, you know, just what guys are are cap- physical uh, are capable of physically. The same thing applies to older guys, which is not precedented as well. Case in point: Phil Mickelson won at Pebble Beach six weeks ago as a forty-eight-year-old player. So, uh, and he beat a bunch of the the names that that you all those young guys um, True. that you could line up and and say are his competitors. So I, I you know it. I think the door is slightly more open for guys in their 40s than previously. And the average age of winner this season is in the like the just under like the 35. It's like 33 or so um, because veteran guys have been winning on tour this season. It looks like, you know, you need some modicum of experience the way that the like the big tournaments uh, have been going. Um, you know, you have a lot of major winners with with victories uh, on tour this season. So like if, if, uh, experience and, you know, a, a basic level of, of, uh, physical capacity, cause they, everybody can hit the ball 300 yards now, right. Through the combination of, of the equipment and the ball. So you're not seeding anything as a 43 year old tiger's age. He's not giving anything back to the field in, in distance. He, he can hit it as far as anybody. Um, I think, you know, that the experience factor is what comes in when we start talking about the majors. That's been the amazing thing for me with playing golf again, which by the way, I don't know what took me so long, but I I guess mentally and physically, I'm just in a better spot to be able to play. 18 is still hard with my back, but, um, I can't believe how good the clubs are now. Now, I don't mean this to be, uh, an endorsement of our beloved Callaway, who's Sponsors Fairway well, Rowan and does a lot of ringer Endorse. stuff. Endorse. But it's Endorse it's, Callaway. It's gonna be an endorsement because these are the clubs I'm using. They sent them to me. It's just unbelievable. Like they, this epic driver they sent me, if I if I hit it v- fairly well, it just keeps it straight. And I almost feel like I'm cheating. Do you feel like you're cheating well, you with some why? of these clubs? That's the epic flash with with flash face technology, Bill Simmons. They yeah, but, had, they but, used artificial intelligence and machine learning to help. Yeah, you're that's exactly right though. But that's it, the point. This, it feels like I like I'm taking HGH or something. I'm hitting drives as far <laughs> as I did 25 years ago 
And the the hardest thing for me playing again is relearning the distances. Cause in the old days with shitty clubs, it would be like, oh, I'm 150 yards away. It's my seven iron. And now it's like, I'm 150 yards away. What club is this? I, is this my eight iron? Like we, Nathan and I, yesterday we played this par three and it was like, I don't know, 162 or something. I'm like, is this what? It, so I ended up, I hit a six iron, but I didn't hit it as hard as I could. I did like an 80% six iron. Sure. Baby I, six, a little soft six. Let's soft six and put it like 12 feet away. And I was like, 20 years ago, if I hit a soft six, it would have gone like 130. So I do yeah. feel like these clubs, I, I, I'm just amazed by the technology. I It would be fun to have, they should do this on the PGA Tour. They should have a, they should have a tournament where everyone's forced to use clubs from the 1980s. There, there, it is funny. You see a lot of guys will do this you, down in Florida. Like they had, uh, Dustin Johnson did this. He hit a, 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 um, a driver with a wooden shaft. Now he still hit it 300 yards. Right. So I don't know what head it had on it and all the rest of it. Um, but it would be cool. They, they do these vintage sets exist. And I agree that would be a cool exhibition to see guys play that old technology, especially, especially the young guys, like a big part of the narrative for the success the young guys have at such an early age is they've been able to, they've grown up swinging golf clubs that are so accommodating. They have no fear. They don't know what it's like to hit a ball that goes 120 yards to the, uh, you know, to the right because the technology is such, and this is the interesting thing about the advancements in equipment. They've gotten so much, they have the data set to understand how an average golfer plays. They yeah. want average golfers to have fun playing the game. So they've modified the equipment in a way to make it more fun for the average player to play by, you know, uh, uh, evolving with this, this face technology, with lighter shafts, with things that help, normal people like us keep the ball in the fairway so we can enjoy the game. Yeah. So we got, we got fitted at Callaway and my, my thing, especially cause sometimes I don't push all the way through cause my lower back isn't great. So I'm prone to slice it a little bit. So when they fit you, they're like, Oh, we'll just, we'll just make the club do this. And then, it'll, then you won't slice it as much. It really does feel like cheating. Uh, nah. I, I forgot. No, cheating in a good way. I love it. I'm so I'm yeah. so I'm so yeah. happy okay, I don't slice it as good. much as I, I'm so happy I don't slice it as much as I normally would be slicing it. Uh yeah. I forgot how much I love about uh like just the whole golf and the hang for four hours and you know, people not, a lot of these courses they ban the cell phones completely or you know, you're really not supposed to use them. Um just the hang in general and people's personalities like so our friend Nathan playing with him yesterday, like he's just all or nothing. Like he, he'd be the best, best ball par ever. Cause he's just trying to smoke drives. But when he smokes, he, wood, he'll yeah. talk as he, he'll be like, Oh, that one smoked. <laughs> like as he's hitting it. <laughs> he's complimenting himself. I was dying. I was like, I was like trying not to laugh. Oh, that's a well, good that's one. A great that's right. That's the whole point. Welcome back. I'm so happy to have it's you. So We're funny. all talking. It's a, that's, it is the hang. You're I was like, right. I was like, do you do this during sex? You're like, oh my god, I'm so good. <laughs> I was Hubbard doesn't dying. need. It. He knows he's good at sex. Uh, <laughs> I uh, I was dying though. But everybody's personality is different. Like 
I have to be super calm because as you know, I, I will throw clubs and break clubs. So I'm trying to, I've tried to kill that part of me where I'm just like, I'm almost like, uh, like I mean, I've had a lobotomy almost like, like those, this really presents a conundrum for me the next time we play, whether I try and induce you into getting mad or whether I just play it cool. I, I'm going to try and take the long view because I want us to play together for the next 20 years. Yeah. So I don't want you to get pissed and immediately associate playing with me with a bad thing. Nah, I won't get but, pissed. Um, I, I, I'm too there old. There is a part of me. There is a part of me. Like when you're, look, you, I have a, speaking of playing golf, I have a tea time in, a, in, in 15 minutes. Let, let's talk some basketball. Oh, shit. 15 minutes? All right, hold on. Let's talk quickly about Microsoft Surface and then we'll get back to this. The new Microsoft Surface Pro 6 can help you get things done whether you're on the field or running a business. Take Brian Arakpo and Michael Griffin, two former NFL teammates who have opened a cupcake shop with the Surface Pro. They can do everything they need from setting schedules to creating promotions for social media and designing new flavors. Plus, it's light, super fast, has a great battery life. Brian and Michael are proving you can tackle all your passions with the power and speed of the new Surface Pro 6. All right, quickly. Um, speaking of old people, LeBron James not making the playoffs, does that change your opinion of him as as one of the three greatest players of all time? No, he's one of the three greatest players of all time. It We can finally never, ever, nobody ever dare say Michael Jordan and LeBron James in the same breath again. Don't you dare say it. Never say it again. There's no point to it. You know, I agree. I've always felt this way. Um, yes. I. This is... Uh, for anyone to argue against this being an embarrassing blemish on his resume, I don't know what to tell you. They're going to win 35 games. It it just seems like he picked a team for really no reason other than he just wanted to live in this city. Uh, didn't put any rhyme or reason. Perfectly into fine it. reason, by the way. Perfectly valid well, reason. Not if you're trying to. Not if you're also telling people that you're the goat. Pick pick a lane. You can't be the goat. He's not and the then goat. also not the goat. Yeah, never going to be the goat. Because guess goat. what, Michael Michael Jordan, during his apex expended extended apex whatever, never would have picked a team because it was the good place to pursue all of his other interests. Like I'm sorry, no so, goat. That's fine. No goat. You're number two, and I think there's a. I I really need to go back and dive through the whole Kareem thing again. Before I just before I, we just shove Kareem aside as the number number two guy because Kareem was the de facto number two, um, and we just got to figure this out. Um, anyway, all right. So LeBron James, we're down on that. Um, Giannis or Harden, seven games left. I personally, I said this on the Rosillo Pod this week. I just love both candidacies. I think this is a rare yeah. year where there's no loser. And these are two of the the better seasons we've had this decade. And I don't think, I don't feel personally the acrimony that we had like in say 2017 when there was no right candidate. We're all trying to talk ourselves into our candidate, but none of us felt great about it. This is like two awesome candidates. So who who do you have nudging ahead of who right now? It's, it's the finest of lines. It's a great point that you just made. Um, nobody has to be a villain here. I, I expressed previously with you my slight displeasure with Harden chasing that 30-point uh, game, you know, consecutive game scoring 30 points. Yeah. He chased that streak a little bit. I didn't love it. Um, I like, I personally subscribe to the new guy narrative. I love 
the pressure was on, and it, I think it's kind of uh, ironic in a way. I feel like more pressure was on Giannis than on Harden this season because everybody put on the table in October, is this the year that Giannis has the breakthrough? Is this his MVP year? Does he arrive on the scene? And I believe that he's answered all of those questions in such a definitive way that I like that new narrative. I like the the guy. He didn't just it's, – it's not like it's a, a debate about how close he got to his potential. He showed us everything we all asked for out of a player that can play all five positions and tr- took his team to heights. Milwaukee hasn't seen this level of competence in uh, you know however many years since the Green Bay Packers won the Super Bowl right. and that's the only uh you know time in any recent memory he he and especially the Bucks franchise this is, has to be the single best Bucks season uh since when I don't know it's been a long time and I will say it's this it's been a long time they had the fear of the deer season where they made the playoffs once but it, it we're talking Ray Allen era where they've had a team that was an actual contender um yes I'm going to talk about this more next week on my podcast. I'm just going to say this to the people out there. There's this rush now with everything. And I'm sure the ringer is going to do it too. It's not like we're not innocent, but everybody's got to jump, jump ahead to hand out the award, the best of the year. Like sometimes in movies, the best of the year, the movies are, they're doing it in November before we even had all the movies out yet. Um, in this case, I really need all 82 games to decide on the MVP. I think it's that close. I want to know where Houston finishes in the top four. I want to see everybody's stats. I want to see if Harden can break Kobe's total points record, which is really like the non-MJ, non-Wilt record for just total points in a season. I want to see the totality of the stats. I want to see how many games Milwaukee wins. I think it's okay to wait until after the 82nd game. We don't have to decide it now, tomorrow, Sunday, Monday to get the column ready. Like use all the games. This is one of the best MVP races we've had. So take your time. It's okay. We can do the season ends. We have four days until the playoffs. Take your time, look at the evidence and then make your pick. I love it. Totally fair. Let's see where everybody ends up. Um, Zion Williamson. Last thing. Um, where does he rank for you now? Best prospect, um, of this century Le- with LeBron being the standard in 03 of just like, there was no fucking way he wasn't going to be awesome. Anthony Davis, 2012, uh, Derek Rose in 08, I think was way up there. There's been some others. Is, do you think Zion's the best prospect since LeBron? Yes. So it, for me, it goes. LeBron, uh, number one, and then I have one A, KD, one B, uh, Zion, and then Davis and and uh, Rose at a level below that. So you have Durant a shade above Zion, just a shade, but just because it was so evident, it was so evident that year he had at Texas, his inside out was so incredible, and he was he was. Around he was getting so many rebounds, and it was that's the only with guy I can think about this century where I had to watch a, a whole bunch of college basketball games to get a feel for the guy. Yeah, I think that's fair. So I yeah I'm gonna I, I'm gonna steal that one from you. So we'll say since since Durant best guy, and Durant for a Zion is interesting because 
I mean, you and I, we were both, we were, we were in the first seat of the bandwagon um, with Durant. Yes. The, the one thing with him was about how skinny he was. We always knew he was going to score. We knew he was going to be a 30 point scorer. But the question was, where was he going to, like, what position was he going to play? Was he always going to be too skinny? Was the, was there going to be some meat on his bones? There are criticisms of him that I was like, okay, I get that. That's, that's a fair criticism. I personally think he's a can't miss um, generational talent, but I hear you. With Zion, I don't know what the criticism is. I, he really, he's like a 10 out of 10 in 20 categories. It's like, oh. I, you, the only thing I, I hear is speculation around whether that soft, like the, the still the youthful baby fat, or I don't know what the right way to call that fat that he possesses, whether that goes in the direction of making him too heavy or whether it goes in the direction of turning into muscle. That's the only thing that I hear speculation-wise around that. Him. It's ludicrous. They, I mean, honestly, if we want to talk about a real fear with Zion, it's like his playing style is just dangerous. Like he, when you're yeah. up in the air that high around legs and feet, that that would be my concern with him. With Durant, I really didn't have any concerns other than, oh yeah, he's skinny. You're right. Yeah, he'll have to put on weight. But it's like, of course he's going to put on weight. He's 19. Like he's going to get right. older. He's going to put on weight. With Zion, I do worry about some of those moments when he's five feet in the air, just kind of, and you're just like, oh, you're holding your breath. That's it. Well, that's, that's my only that, concern. It's your Blake Griffin. It's a Blake Griffin concern. Yeah, exactly. All right, we go have the play. the same concern. So I'm excited to see what happens with him. I really loved, I don't, did you see the game that when they almost lost Sunday? UCF? Yes, I, I did. I, I, I was traveling, but I saw a good bit of it. I really loved when uh, he tried to take over the last couple minutes. Um, when, when the season was on the line and he kind of had that, I got this mentality to how he handled the last 30 seconds and just really wanted... Yep. He he answered some questions that I didn't have, but it was nice to see uh nice to see him do that anyway. All right, House. Uh enjoy Mexico, enjoy the golf, uh, and overtip Matt Kutcher's caddy. I'm gonna go find El Tucan. <laughs> talk talk to you soon. All right, we're gonna call my buddy Jack on a second to talk about the crumbling Yankees. That's what I like to call them heading into every season, the crumbling Yankees. They really might be crumbling this year, though. Uh, some MVP picks, March Madness, a little Trump. But first, let's talk about the zone. The old way of watching sports is over. Stream over 100 fight nights a year featuring the biggest names in boxing and MMA without the pain of pay-per-view. Fighters like Canelo Alvarez, Triple G, Daniel Jacobs, Anthony Joshua, Michael Venom Page, Rory McDonald, and more. Plus, behind-the-scenes content leading up to fight night, a library of classic fights and original programming, everything live and on demand. Available on almost any device. Download the new DAZN app on your smart TVs, tablets, mobile gaming consoles. If you like boxing, if you like MMA, if you like baseball, did I mention baseball? They have a new MLB live whip around show. It's called Change Up. It's on every night of the week. Jumping in out of the best plays and moments as they happen. Get expert analysis from hosts who bring a fresh personality, a new perspective to the game, including my old ESPN Colleague, Adnan Verk. He's going to be the uh, quarterback of that show. Good luck to him. Getting set up with DAZN is easy. Download the DAZN app in the Apple or Android app store. Sign up by creating an account and then start watching across nearly any of your devices. D-A-Z-N. Go find it right now. And uh, since we're here, the Rewatchables podcast, we did Pretty Woman. 
We have Fast Five coming next week, me and Shay Serrano. It's the most important podcast in my entire life because it's the best movie of all time. So we have that coming too. So subscribe to that when you can. And uh, let's give Jacko a call. All right, on the line right now, we always call him right before the baseball season starts. He's been on this podcast since 2007. He's one of my best friends in the world. We've we've shared rooms together in bunk beds. Uh, Jacko, how are you? <laughs> Good, thanks. How are you? Uh, <laughs> the, bunk, the bunk bed thing made me laugh. Or something. <laughs> <laughs> we've shared bunk beds. We've shared beds. Yeah, yeah. I don't know that we ever did share a bunk bed. Actually, I've I've put shaving cream on you as you were asleep. You woke up yeah. and got mad and started throwing punches in the dark. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, baseball, baseball yeah. starting. Who are your starting pitchers? Do you have any? Sure. Okay, Tons, let's hear. Right? Well, let's hear. Let's hear the list. So, well, as of now, right now, because given injuries and what have you, we have uh, Tanaka. Okay. Tanaka time. See, we have see 40 James yet? Paxton. We have the big maple, James Paxton. Mm. We have the always reliable, crafty J.A. Happ. <laughs> crafty. Journeyman crafty. crafty. Yeah. Um, we have uh, another crafty lefty veteran, uh, heart of the team, C.C. Sabathia. I thought he retired. Then, Did he unretire? No, he never retired. No, he. Well, There's a he, rumor he, he was retired. He made some noises about retiring last year. Yeah, but he didn't. He came back for one more run, and he's retiring after this season. Okay. So he is he is uh, with the team, but he is serving a suspension for five games because he, he threw at the Rays last year while pointing at their pitcher and saying, that's for you, bitch, which was a, just a phenomenal moment. That's worth it. A proud <laughs> day for all Yankee fans. Uh, as a Red Sox fan, I'm glad he's back because he couldn't even get into the fifth inning. And then once he five-game suspension, he is going on the injured list because of his off-season heart uh, condition. Oh, no. So he's going to be back in a little bit, yeah. So James Paxton. Filling in, we have filling in. We have the always capable uh, Domingo Herman and uh, Luis Sessa, I believe. Okay. So congratulations on all of those yeah. guys. So how long is Severino out? Well, <clears throat> oh, no. I think they're saying, yeah. <laughs> I think he's well. I think he could be out for as much as a month, maybe a May first return. I'm sure they will. They will tread gingerly with him, given as he's the. You know, he's the ace, such as it is. So I think they're going to go easy with him. And, you know, once you stop throwing for like two weeks, it sets everything back. So I think I think the hopeful response is that he'll be out a month. So, But maybe the good news is, is that he'll get more length on the season, that he won't tire because he's, you know, starting sort of a month later. So that pushes him a, a month further out before he gets winded or whatever. So, so I've tired arm. I've done this dance many times usually with people on my fantasy team that I was counting on. Um, this is like me and Hedge, this League of Dorks team we have. Year after year, we somehow managed to have the starter who was supposed to come back on April 20th or April 25th. And then you have the red flag next to their name in the fantasy right. team. And you're like, oh no, what happened? And you right. click and it's like, there's been a setback. He's, they've, they've decided yeah. to not have him throw for a week. I was like, okay, great. Right. Then it's like a little news update next to it. He he did some long toss today. Things looked okay. And you're just held hostage by these updates for weeks on end. 
And yeah, we had this guy. We were trying to win our league this year. We had this guy in the Angels, Andrew Heaney, and he had elbow tightness in mid March or like early March. And <laughs> right. we had him for five bucks. And we're Hench and I are texting each other. We're both lunatics. And both of us are like, we just don't want to do this again. So we actually traded him um for a draft pick because we were like, we don't want to be held hostage by the long toss updates with this guy. We just want to go into one right. year where we're not being held hostage for eight to 15 weeks by the guy who's already had a setback and his, things are looking good. Oh, he's got a rehab start today. I just don't want to do it again. So I'm right. glad you're going through it with Severino is my long-winded Thank point. Thank you. I, I really, uh, good luck. Good luck with those little red flag <laughs> updates. Oh, he might pitch in a single A game. He might throw three innings today. It's the worst. It's the absolute yeah. worst. Um, and it's his shoulder, which is never a great sign. So, um, mm. yeah, we'll just hope for the best. And, you know, hopefully it's just a minor bump in the road and nothing to be too concerned about. They just signed Gio Gonzalez. So we've got him waiting in the wings if, if anything is necessary. So I couldn't believe you didn't sign Dallas Keiko. I thought that was like the lock of the century. He seemed like just I a classic Yankee. I, I, I actually and didn't want you the- to sign him. Plus, he's been a Yankee killer. I mean, it just addition by subtraction that we wouldn't have to face him if he was on the Yankees. That would have, that would have been good enough. I don't. Maybe he was unwilling to shave the beard. I don't. I don't know what quite happened there. He's, <laughs> he's holding out for more money, longer deal. I don't know what the story is there. He did a no no beard. He's, he's the deal breaker. <laughs> if I if I have to shave the beard, you better put another zero on the check or whatever. So yeah. I actually, uh, I did not want you to sign James Paxton. That was a trade, actually. We traded, tra- our, I mean, trade our, pro- our, traded our prospect just to Sheffield for him. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I that was, was happy a, about that. That was a big price. I did not want you to get him, though, because uh, he's had a couple games over the years against the Red Sox where he just looks like the best pitcher of all time. You're like, how's right. this guy? This is- guy Cy Young, he, but he can't stay on the field is his problem. Yeah, he's injury prone. So, you know, Tanaka always seems to have some injury. Severino now with his shoulder. And then you got, you know, Paxton, who's got injury issues, and Sabathia with a heart problem. So there's a lot of, you know, we're, 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 uh, we're hoping and praying on a lot here. And, and let's hope it all works out. James had 121 innings in 16, 136 in 17, and 160 last year. He's thrown two complete games for his entire career. Well, the, see, the beauty of the Yankees, though, is they have probably the greatest bullpen ever assembled. So yeah, yeah that is we're true. not going to ask a lot out of our starters. You know, if you can go five innings, and it's going to be you know that's that's going to be a good. If you leave a five innings with the lead, and we should be in good shape. Yeah, that is true. Is? Of course, we have Aaron. We have Aaron Boone managing that bullpen, so it's you know a little bit like having a Ferrari and letting my seven-year-old drive it. But uh, let's hope that works out too. We're doing a lot of hoping today. So that's what the that's what the new season's all about. Hope. The uh the best thing you have going for you this year is the Aaron Joe the Aaron Judge MVP train, which Yeah, he, let's hope. Which back from the broken wrist and looking to you know, exact his revenge on the league. As you know, I don't like the Yankees. You I what? Made, as you know, I don't I dislike the Yankees. I actively yes, dislike them. I'm aware. I made two two wagers this this year. Did I tell you uh, what these were? I'm nervous, but sure. You're nervous? Why are you nervous? Yeah. I'm, I'm worried you're trying to put some sort of a jinx on things here. That's why I'm nervous. I wagered on Aaron Judge 8-1 to one to win the MVP. Okay. So here's the case for it. 
Um, you finished second two years ago. Yep. There's a lot of, you can kind of, he's in year four, which I like. There's, there's been a lot of like, he's now the face of the team kind of stuff floating around the last two months. Like they're, Without a question. They're really positioning him as like, this is the next great Yankee. This is, we are now, we are now in the Aaron Judge era. Here we go. So, so the narrative is there. Um, Two years ago, his first full season, he had 52 homers. He had the 422 on base, finished second in the MVP, played all the time. Last year, you know, he missed 50 games. Yeah. Um, and had the wrist thing and whatever. But then in the postseason, you know, kind of looked like Aaron Judge again. And mm-hmm, he did. So you figure, like, what is the ceiling on the ultimate Aaron Judge season, which I'm personally invested in because not only did I bet on him, but we have him on our League of Dorks team for uh, oh, fi- this $15. Is good. This, this worries me. You've got too much invested in I have him. a lot I'm invested worried. in Aaron Judge. I have a lot of, lot of, oh. uh, lot of chips on the Aaron Judge table. Um, wow. And the reason I don't feel bad about it is because the Red Sox have won four World Series in the last 15 years. So I, I have no problem. I've been yeah, making my fantasy really? team. Yeah. I've won four. I've missed that. Oh, four. I paying that much attention. Oh, four, oh, seven, 13. And, uh, and then last year we won again. So we have four. Really? So I don't mind oh, having geez. Yankees on my fantasy teams anymore. Um, <laughs> so the ceiling on an Aaron Judge season. It really does feel like it could be like 430 on base and like 63 homers or something, right? That's not like unrealistic. He had a huge, he had a huge spring, for whatever that means. He had like every hit he had was an extra base hit. I think he finally got a single on like the last day of spring training, but he had like multiple homers and doubles and maybe even a triple thrown in. So yeah, he had a he had a massive spring from a power perspective. So hopefully that's a harbinger of things to come. So you're down with my bet. Yeah, I I love Aaron Judge. Because Trout was plus one twenty five. I still. Yeah, I mean he's always a he's always a you know safe bet to win the MVP, obviously, especially with his yeah his new contract. But um, I just don't see that team at eight to one. The money's you know the odds are good. Betts was plus five fifty. The other guy I was looking at, uh, Alex Bregman was twelve to one on the Astros. I was trying to think like what's the case for him because he he was really awesome down the stretch last year. Yeah, and then you think like, all right, if that team goes like 102 and six in 60 or something, very possible. One of the guys on that team is going to be the MVP favorite. So who would that be? Um, right. So I, I thought I did, just didn't think the odds were good enough. If it if it had been like 20 to one, I might have stepped in on that. So that was one of the bets I made. And then the other bet I made, which I'm really proud of, and I think uh, I think history is going to remember me kindly on this. Was Trevor <laughs> Trevor Bauer for the Cy Young, which I have a fifteen to one, which has now dropped to twelve to one. Wow! Um, probably the most disliked player in the league, <laughs> no doubt. He's if you read stuff about him, Sports Illustrated had a really good piece on him. He's kind of a maniac with how he approaches pitching, and I mean that in a good way. Right. Like he's really right. like constantly trying to add stuff, get better, research. Like we've never really had. He he's almost like an evil Greg Maddox, and yes. uh, and I just never have never I've never read about somebody who is just more committed to just learning about this one thing, but then been more open about talking about it and spilling his secrets. Um, but I just well, think, maybe the Yankees will pick him up at the All Star break when Cle- Cle- 
Cleveland's looking to dump money, and uh, maybe that will you can your two worlds can collide there with Aaron Judge and Trevor Bauer together. See, I think that I think they're going to be good. I'm a, I'm in the Cleveland's going to be good camp, and I think one of the reasons I know, but I saw, I read where they were still shopping him and Kluber because did you, did you see this interview the with money the thing. owner the other yeah, day? Yeah, the weird where, owner. James Dolan's yeah, cousin. The owner's like, we're we're never spending money, and you know we budget just enough to be like in the playoffs, and we're happy with that. It was the it's really a way to sell tickets in Cleveland. He didn't he had a quote like, uh, "We'll pay a three hundred million dollar contract yeah. when when everybody else is making a billion dollars a year or whatever." Or he had some. Well, no, he said we'll be giving out three hundred million dollar contracts when other everybody else is giving out billion dollar contracts. Yeah, what what better way to fire up the fans? And then the and then the I think it was with the Athletic, and they were like, uh, "What about what do you say to the fans about Francisco Lindor?" And he was like, "Well, enjoy him." <laughs> <laughs> Literally, like, "Well, enjoy him now because he ain't gonna be here." So that's good. Boy, I, I really want to go out and buy my Cleveland Indians season tickets now. Where, where's the line for him? <laughs> yeah, there's. There's uh, articles about this on the internet that people can research. I I feel like Paul Dolan hasn't gotten enough credit as as uh, as an annoying owner named Dolan. He apparently they say they shouldn't let guys named Dolan buy sports teams anymore. That's the lesson from all this. Well, he's a cousin apparently. Oh, is he? Yeah. Oh, even better. Yeah, he's. Uh, wow. Yeah, they're related, and I and there's some sort of. Charles Dolan, remember, remember, uh, James Dolan's dad almost bought the Red Sox that time. Yeah. And then, yeah, something about yeah, the Dolan thing. So this, good. this is really the game of Thrones that we really needed and wanted the sports game of Thrones. So the Dolans, <laughs> I saw his name was Dolan. I never even put two and two together that they could be related. That's fantastic. I wonder if he has a band. You think he does? <laughs> no, I'm wondering. It's like a ska band. Right. <laughs> or he's doing uh yeah, I bet he doesn't have a band actually. No. I bet him and James Dolan either don't talk or it's been icy for a long time. I know nothing. I'm just guessing. <laughs> two fa- two rich cousins in the same family. Um I think James Dolan called him after that interview was published and he's like, Hey, great work. It was good stuff. Really good. <laughs> good stuff. Kudos on that. <laughs> I like how you stuck it to the fans. <laughs> Yeah, well played. So tired of those people. If we only, <laughs> if we only didn't have fans, it would be so much easier to so own annoying. these teams. <laughs> it's like that Larry Sanders episode when uh, the last episode of Larry Sanders and Bob, Bob Odenkirk is Sanders' agent, and it, they're complaining about uh, talent or something. You remember this? No. And he's like, man, if it wasn't for the fucking talent, this job would be so much more fun. <laughs> like that. He's like an agent. It's his job to That's represent funny. talent. Um, right. Yeah. The, the, the James Dolan thing, have you been following that? Oh, yeah. It's a big story. I, I keep getting asked about it because somehow I was in it because he accused me of... Uh, right. You were purposely trying to tank them to help the Celtics or whatever, tank their chances with, uh, who was it, KD or AD or Kyrie or who was it you were trying to tank them with? Well, Kyrie, was, I guess, right? Uh, all of it was unclear. I know you really weren't, but... Well, all of it was unclear because he didn't even, he said I was really close to a GM, but he didn't even say what team it was. So some people thought right. it was Boston and then other people thought it was Houston, but then Houston, they, they, they would, they would be the happiest of anyone if Kevin Durant went to the Knicks and he left the conference. And then, right. 
And just all of it about uh, like there's some sabotage play when he's been the worst owner in the league for 20 years now. Um, right. It's in a, a variety of ways and found new ways to be awful. I really loved it. I I just, I felt so honored that I was involved in a story like that, which was so clearly ridiculous. Right. People are like, what are you, what are you going to say to Dolan? I'm like, what are you talking about? The guy's crazy. What do you mean? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. <laughs> like that, that deranged person on, uh, on Santa Monica Boulevard was yelling stuff at your car. What are you going to do? I'm like, I'm, I'm going to keep driving. What do you mean? Drive by. What are you going right. to stop and get out and and try to rationalize with them? Engage with them about the satellites. Yeah. It's really, uh, it's really bonkers. And, they, and meanwhile, the Knicks are definitely, something's going on and they're going to end up with all these players and we'll actually see what he can do when he has some talent. Yeah. Uh, any March Madness teams you were jealous of? Well, I'm always jealous that Holy Cross is not a, you know, <laughs> it's not involved in this in any is that, way, shape, or form. Is it afterthought? <laughs> um, the, that bums me out because... My second choice of schools to go to was Villanova, which I also got into. And so, oh. like watching the other night, and I'm like, I, I don't regret going to Holy Cross, which I which I love and I loved, and you know, all my friends that are you know closest friends are from there and what have you. But like a little part of me is like, it would be really fun to watch this tournament and have a rooting interest in some team. You know? Yeah, <laughs> really like be like way into it because you know the years where Holy Cross has made it, and even though they're like a 15 or a 14 seed, it's it's awesome to see, you know, so that would be exciting. I, I went to a couple of the games in Hartford, <clears throat> excuse me, on the first round last week on the 21st. And, uh, I fell in love with this kid, John Morant from Murray state who yeah. is, is the best, literally the best college player I've ever seen in person. And not that, not that I've been to a ton of college games and obviously going to four years of Holy cross. is not saying a lot to say that this kid who's a you know, consensus top five pick in the NBA draft is the best player I've seen, but just a long time watching college basketball. I mean, he was just a dominant player on the court against Marquette, you know, it was a legit big East team. And he was just, I mean, he could, could do it all. And at times he was like, not at times, like all the time, he was too good for his teammates. There was a couple of times yeah. he, he threw it away because his passes were too, were too good. And, you know, some kid that's that's playing at Murray State, he's not going to be playing in the NBA next year. He didn't know where right. to be on the pass, but he was just so good. And I was just like, oh my God, I, I was blown away by how good he was in person. And um, so, you, you know, didn't, other than that. You didn't feel that way when we saw Lionel Simmons when he came to Holy Cross in the late 80s, the early 90s, the L train? That was a sold out heart center. That was a big deal at the time, a huge deal. And uh, that that no, said, job, that remains a little bit more impressive. That remains like top five most excited I've ever been for a sporting event was the L train <laughs> coming to Holy Cross because we had a good team that year. But we that did. was like we that did. was like the only time we really got to feel on campus like what those what the freaking Duke people must feel twenty times a year, fifteen times a year, exactly. or whatever. Where it was like. All we talked about all week was the game, people getting there super early, like, oh my God. And he was great. Right. I mean, he was really good back then. I don't know what happened to him in the NBA, but he was a really good college player. I think he was like the number one scorer in the country, wasn't he? Wasn't that why he was. it was so exciting? Because he was highly touted and I think he put up like thirty a game or something. So uh well, we thought yeah, he was I remember gonna, that. That was a big game. We thought he was gonna be like a top five lottery pick. And I think he ended up right. going like seventh or eighth or something. But yeah. Yeah, I was thinking watching, you know, the college basketball product is obviously a semi-disaster at this point. Um, 
it really does seem like there's a market inefficiency now for the team that just recruits all three-point shooters. Yeah. And, and basically all you need is the one rebounder slash rim protector and then just have eight other guys who are just good three-point shooters. I, I really want Holy Cross to uh, exploit the market inefficiency and just go out and just find all of these dudes who they're just really good at shooting threes and that's it. And shoot like yeah, that's the way the game is now. So why not shoot like seventy? Like take eighty right. shots in a game, and like sixty-two of them are threes, and that's just who you are. Seems like that right. would make sense because the thing is, like all the in in the NBA, all the advanced metrics has drifted toward all of these different things that have stopped being trends that are now just the way people play. Like Milwaukee shot forty-four threes a game this year, right? Which is insane, right? But they looked at this, they looked at the math, they looked at who they had in, with Giannis, and they said, all right, Giannis is good at all these things. If we surround him with three-point shooters and space the floor, he'll be unstoppable. And it worked. So if you if you did that in college, and that was just some coaches play, almost like what Patino was like 30 years ago in Providence, and you did yeah. like that, you did that idea on steroids. I would like to just see somebody do it and commit to it, but it would seem like it would be a school like the, like a Patriot league school or a school like Pepperdine or Loyola Marymount or one of these schools. And this is just like, this is who we are. If you shoot threes, come here. I don't know. Yeah. Why not take a flyer on it? Absolutely. Or we Holy can cross recruiting regular players and going, you know, 14 and 14 and in the, and you know, seven and 12 in the Patriot league. It's, it's, you know, what's the difference? You might as well do something experimental. At least it'd be entertaining. At least it'd be interesting. I think it's crazy that the East coast has basically thrown away college basketball. Like from a success standpoint, you look at, you look at who's good and who's advanced and things like that. And like Boston college wasn't even in it. Then you get like to like the Yukon's out, whatever you, maybe Yukon never comes back. Who the fuck knows? Um, right. Cause they're in a, I mean, it, it's gotten to the point where I actually feel bad for Yukon right. because their conference is so, and I, I kind of like Danny Hurley and their conference is such a disaster and they can't recruit anybody. And it's just, it, it's just awful. It's just terrible. What's happened to the state of that team, that program. It's just horrendous. So the people representing the, the East coast now, that actually well, do Duke pretty and well. Carolina are in the East Coast, but you're, you're no, no, like no. I'm saying like, yeah, I guess Northeast is my point. Um, we're really relying now on New Jersey and Pennsylvania to right. carry the East Coast torch, which I personally fucked, fuck both of those states. Um, <laughs> wow. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> right, right in the eyeballs. With Pennsylvania. No, yeah. Fuck. Wow. Yeah. The Philly fans. They, they really, they can all wow. go to hell. Yeah. They can all go to hell. Um, wow. I didn't like some of their comments after the Eagles Super Bowl. It's, it's kind of stuck with me. <laughs> Haven't really enjoyed it. Don't really on one of our biggest states. Don't really enjoy the Sixer fans either. Guess who else I don't like? The Steeler fans. Yeah. Uh, F you wow. Pennsylvania. So, wow. um, I just really want the Northeast pocket to step up. What do you call like I, New England? I guess I'm talking about here. The Acela Corridor. Yeah, the Corridor. That, that encompasses DC too. So. Nah, fuck DC as well. Um, All right. Well, I want. Shots I want. Fired at house. I'm gonna. I'm gonna reframe this. I'm really talking about New England. New England. New England basketball really needs to. We need somebody. Can we have one team? Uh, well, I mean, you know, college basketball. You said it's, it's such a disaster, and 
you know, I'm, I'm an old guy, so I guess I'm going to do a get off my lawn, but you know, like the one and done thing, I mean, it's just killed college basketball because, you yeah. know, growing up in the heyday of the big East when, you know, Sherman Douglas, I swear to God, was in Syracuse for 10 years. <laughs> It's been there forever, and you know Chris Mullen and Patrick Ewing and the guys stuck around for four years, and there was guys that you rooted for and guys that were villains, and you know you had rivalries where you could really like root against a guy or root for a guy for four years, and now it's like, you know, Kentucky has five new freshmen every single year. You barely even learn the kid's name. By the way, it's, so it's, it's been just, this way all decade. No, I know it's it's not just today. No, I know, but I mean, you know, going back to the '80s when guys were around forever. But but now it's, you know, I go to these games and I used to have sort of a passing knowledge of who was who in college basketball. And, you know, this year outside of Zion and now my my, my new favorite Your player, new love, John, John Morant, Morant uh, you know, I couldn't name anybody that I saw playing the games the other day. I just wish New England had its Gonzaga. And I wish it was Holy Cross, but even if it wasn't Holy Cross, it would be great if it was the University of Vermont or one of these schools, anybody. Uh BC. BC, I mean, BC used to have a you know basketball legacy with Bagley and BC's everybody. BC's a mess. Yeah, that's I. It just has not been able to recover the last twenty years from basically anything. Um, and BC going to the ACC is really that you Northeastern know, would be fun. What about Northeastern? That could it could be them. It'd be somebody. Yeah, it's just weird. But I, I do feel like that's part of the reason I've fallen out with college hoops is just you know if we had gone if you and I had gone to Georgetown together, can you imagine how nuts we'd go? With some, with like every if they were sixteen and fourteen one year, we would take it so personally. Now with I had a couple guys from high school that went to Seton Hall, and, and yeah. a good friend of mine walked on to Seton Hall the year they went to the championship in '89. So I have a soft spot in my heart for Seton Hall, and I kind of kind of root for them. And they got murdered by Wofford, so I'm like, I, I have no more. You know, Holy Cross didn't make it. Seton Hall got bounced, so I have no rooting interest in this tournament now. When your friend made it, my we, bracket. we made fun of you that whole March Madness because you every time they showed their bench, you would drunkenly point out that your friend Renee was on the there. There's Renee. And we're like, we get it. We know, we know he's on the team, Jacko. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you were so happy to see him, though. Um, well, it was a pretty good run. And they just had an article I read, actually, about the 20th anniversary. I read that, too. That yeah. It was, it was really good. He got a lot of quotes in there, too. It was, he, got a, he got a lot of publicity for that one. It was a nice, nice article. Um, Trump, Russia. Wouldn't you just quickly zip through it? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I think I said this in a podcast a while ago where I said, you know, I never really believed that he would be involved in a conspiracy because he, he couldn't keep his mouth shut. Like, he'd go to Mar-a-Lago and be like, this election's in the bag. We got Russia hacking the emails. It's all set. <laughs> he probably would have said that in his speech at the Republican convention, actually. Right. So, so I was always a little doubtful that there was really this grand conspiracy. Now, you know, perhaps it could have encompassed people around him. That would not have shocked me because he did not have like the the uh, most upstanding collection of folks uh, helping him with his campaign. Yeah. And especially to the degree that it was hyped up by by the media and you had people like, you know, the former CIA director and you figure, well, he might have some inside scoop. Um, and then it all just turned out after all this to be like to be nothing. So you know, to watch MSNBC where they're like sobbing on the air and, and CNN, it's really like a an amazing turnaround because you always figure like, you always figure Trump's going to find a way to stub his toe on something. And he, he came out like, you know, if not smelling like a rose, then at least not smelling like he was covered in shit. So um, are we positive it's nothing because nobody's actually read it? Except for like well, three people. No, I know they. They people keep saying that, and like they're still hanging their hopes on. Well, we. No, I'm not hanging hopes. Report. I just. We, I would. No, no, I'm not. Like to know I'm what's not in it. You are, but 
that's what a lot of people are saying. But the attorney general has read the report, and he wrote this summary to everybody to say, like, basically nobody's getting charged with any crimes. Now, if he made that up out of whole cloth and it really had listed a lot of potential crimes, you know, either Mueller or somebody from his team, I think, would have, like, jumped out and said, like, well, hold on a second. That's not what we said. You know, it's been a couple, it's been almost a week now. And there, nobody's contradicting that. So I think even, you know, when the report comes out, will there be some things where people will be like, well, that looked a little shady or that wasn't great, but it's not provable. Yeah, there could be things for people to hang their hat on, but it's very different than, you know, being impeachable offenses or anybody close to him being charged with crimes. Did he pick- not to say, you know, Manafort and Stone and other people that have been charged with sort of crimes on the periphery, not to say nobody was charged, but I mean, nobody was charged with direct collusion with the Russian government. Yeah. And it also seems like he's guilty of just picking some, some crazy people around him, which. Yeah, no doubt. Which by the way, we've seen for the last couple of years. I don't, I'm not surprised, but yeah, I mean, any he's of that. Not, yeah, he's not the greatest judge of character, despite saying he would always, he always has the best people and hires the best people. I mean, that's obviously blatantly not the case. So, um, so yeah. So, and, so we're looking at six more years of Trump now five and a half i don't know i don't I don't know i mean you know this when when people you know the opposition has run around screaming collusion collusion for two years and then it turns out to be no collusion that that can only help him you know if people were doubtful they're like well you know he's he's clean on this so maybe they, you know maybe he's not so bad i mean i, I don't know i and you can't you know in politics you can't beat somebody with nobody so it depends who the candidate is i think if the democrats nominate biden i think biden could give him a run for his money I'm not sure about any of the other candidates, but I think Biden could beat him. Do you want to know what the odds are right now? Yeah. Trump's plus 130 to win again. Really? I actually think those wow. odds are pretty good. I think he's, I, I actually Hillary think he should be favorite. 16 though in Vegas. So Joe Biden's six to one. Beto O'Rourke is eight to one. He's got no chance. Bernie Sanders, 12 to one. He's got no chance. Kamala Harris, 15 to 1, no chance. And then it's a whole bunch of people who probably don't have a chance, except Cory Booker's 80 to 1 or 60 to 1. I wouldn't 100% rule him out. Um, but Biden, 6 to 1, the guy's going to be 78 in 2020. Yeah, I don't know. 2016 taught me never to. Uh, anything we think we know, just throw it out the window because God only knows, you know, I mean, literally like who knows the, the, the news every day I wake up and, and the things that happen in the news, I just, I'm like, wow, really? And then we just move on. We just careen on to the next thing. So, (laughs) (laughs) you know, we have a lot of careening to do between now and November of 2020. So you're saying when, um, the host of the apprentice who had gone bankrupt twice and Right. Just seemed like a full-fledged lunatic won the presidency. That changed your perspective on what might happen? Yeah, a little bit. A little bit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Call me crazy, but that, that kind of threw all my uh, conventional wisdom out the window. <laughs> so you're saying we shouldn't have conventional wisdom anymore? No. I think we should probably like bang our head against the wall and then make decisions that way. It's as, as woozy as possible. That seems to be, that seems to be the way we're, we're going here. So It seems like the only way to, to beat him would be another old white guy because you have to steal the old white guy and middle-aged white guy votes from Trump because the, yeah, the everyone I mean, else you, you're getting you need somebody that can appeal to like the you know the rust belt in the midwest and i think biden has some blue collar you're right like some blue collar appeal the, the problem is that's not where the the 
heart and soul of the modern Democratic Party is. Yeah. Not even close. So the the I don't the problem for Biden, you know, somebody like Biden who is not as woke as the as the rest of the party or the vanguard of the party is at the moment, their heart is not really going to be with him. And you wonder, like, do they stay home? You know, where there's some Bernie folks that stayed home because they didn't like Hillary and they, their heart was with Bernie. So do they say, well, I'm not going to go like pound the pavement and knock on doors and make calls and, you know, drive people to the polls for Biden because he's only, you know, slightly more woke than Trump, but not woke enough. So, um, but but on the other hand, I don't think like you know, eighty year old Bernie screaming about wonders of socialism is really going to appeal to large swaths of the country. So um, yeah, we what's the dilemma for the Democrats? Bernie's a problem. We will know when Trump is afraid of Biden when he just attacks him on Twitter one week. Like yeah, he'll get right. he'll get some report. Somebody will say, "Hey, we have a report on uh." who we should be worried about in 2020 here, are all the nominees and it's clearly Joe Biden. And like that day, Trump will be on Twitter, like Joe Biden plagiarizer, plagiarizer, <laughs> right. Right. Joe Biden, right. the lie, the lying plagiarizer, Joe Biden is thinking of running. He, right. right. Please bring it on, Joe. Maybe you could write my next book. Like he'll just go right in right away. He had something when there was, you know, the first rumors about Biden a few weeks ago, and he called him like crazy Joe Biden or something. And, you know, he's still workshopping that one, but uh, he likes Man. alliteration. Like he needs like jittery Joe or something, you know, like, <laughs> jittery, <laughs> some personal attack, balding Joe Biden or something, you know, so. Well, he, Trump can't really go with the hair thing. No, but he, well, why? come on, he has no shame. He doesn't think that's going to stop him. Come on. It's something with plagiarizing that begins with a J. Like a, some sort of synonym for that, that he could do yeah. the blank Joe Biden, but with the J. Jumble Joe Biden. Jumble, I'm sure he's got jumble and Joe Biden. That right now. <laughs> it's like the president wants to have a meeting. Oh, I wonder what right. he's going to talk about this show up. And he goes, hey, I need a good nickname for Joe Biden for my Twitter this week. I have a big whiteboard. Yeah. Jerky like, Joe. I don't know. It's, uh, maybe, maybe. What about Jackass Joe? No, too strong, too strong. <laughs> How about Jerk Off Joe? No, can't. No, it's too too harsh. Way too, way too far. Way too, too far. harsh. And Trump's like, hold They're on, pulled. wait a second. Let's talk. Uh, let's talk it out. Jerk Off Joe. Hold on, hold on. <laughs> what, what about if we go with Biden and we give the whole world the bees? There, like bitchy Biden. What that bozo <laughs> Biden? Or does anybody think about that? Bozo Biden. Bozo <laughs> Biden's actually realistic. Yeah. They can have the Trump campaign. They can uh, that's copyright Jacko Productions 2019. He could go Bozo Joe Biden, Bozo Biden, Joe the Bozo. <laughs> oh man, yeah, I hope see it, that Bozo works because you can do Joe Bozo, Bozo Joe kind of rhymes, and then you can do Bozo Biden, so it's alliterative. It works in a lot of ways. You could do you could do posters of him with a clown nose on. There's just a lot of ways it could go. Biden <laughs> the clown. Yeah. Well, we just unfortunately gave them their whole tactic for 2018. I can't wait for the Secret Service to come pick me up in Marine One by helicopter me down to the White House for high-level meetings with help continue this nickname search <laughs> after they hear this podcast. Uh, Mr. President, we're bringing in a guy named Jack O from the Bill Simmons <laughs> podcast. Uh, we think he can workshop some insulting Joe Biden names for you. <laughs> he's, just coming in, he's coming in for an hour. Jacko, a pleasure as always. Uh, worst of Good luck times. on opening day. 
I didn't even talk about my team. We brought everybody back. Uh, we right. one of the great Except seasons of all time. Bullpen. Oh, he's coming back May first. I'm not worried about that. All right. They're in a little staring contest with him right now. He's right. signed with Let's the team. Hope there's a nice long World Series lull. Like it's hope there's a nice letdown after the big victory of last year. But are you excited Let's for hope. future Hall of Famer Raphael Devers to have his breakout year? Sure. Why not? Absolutely. Why wouldn't he? Everything you guys do t- turns to gold, so I wouldn't be surprised to see him be uh, he- You should put some money on him being the MVP. This, it's just not even fun to do the Red Sox-Yankees thing with you anymore. It's really no. like how I felt in the late 90s. It's just flipped. Just, a, just like a you know, corpse just, just kicked, just abused. So <laughs> All right. let's hope we bounce back. Good luck following those Luis Severino long toss updates. <laughs> the course of I'll, April. I'll monitor them closely. I hope I'll be putting them on Twitter. I'm gonna I'm gonna be sending them along to you. Ooh, excellent! He's thrown from 75 feet today. Oh, here we go, Jacko. I'll, I'll read them in our old bunk bed. So. <laughs> I'll talk to you later. See ya. Before we go, unpaid ringer intern Nathan Hubbard is on the line. CEO of Rival. Um, I played golf with him yesterday. House and I talked about him earlier and. I talked about your propensity to hit a big drive and as it's in the air, um, profusely complimenting how you smoked it and how this is your signature move. I wanted to give you a chance to defend yourself for, for self, self-golf flagellation. It happens one out of every 550 times. No, it was like four one. times yesterday. I have a brother on the PGA Tour. Do you understand the level of insecurity that that instills in a golfer when you suck shit and you have a brother who's winning on the tour? Like, of course I'm going to talk about What else can I do? Give me a break. Why are you, why is this a psychological examination? It's not a psychological examination. To be clear. I loved it. House and I were talking about how every person, when they play, they have different personalities. And my favorite thing about playing for you was when you would smoke a drive and they go, oh, that smoked. Oh, oh, yeah. It's, it's such a rare thing. I have to celebrate the good things when they happen. I love it. It's better than screaming. It's better than screaming fuckle sticks all over the course, which is what I do when I'm not hitting good drives. Well, the shame of it is that you're not on the PGA Tour because you would be the most popular golfer in golf. Because every time you smoke this shot, you'd be going, <laughs> you'd be going nuts. I think I killed a deer. I think I killed a deer. I think I killed a rattlesnake, and I killed a coyote on the course yesterday. You're yeah, we. Welcome. You know, one of the great things about my golf comeback is all the wildlife. I had just totally forgotten there was coyotes and and there was a deer, and I put it on my Instagram today. There was a deer in the way of my pitch and run, and then a, a limping coyote started to kind of approach our cart. That was scary. Uh, I forgot. Remember the baby rattlesnake? Baby rattlesnake? The baby rattlesnake. I was. I don't like rattlesnakes. I, I'm not a... Well, uh, needless to say. I'm not a huge fan. I like giant, awesome drives, and I'm going to talk about it. Okay, good. That's it. That's all I had for you. Uh, we're going to come... I'm bringing you back on and talk more about golf at some point, but I just, I just wanted to get your side of the story. I did great with this inquiry. Look you at did. that thing. It's you amazing. Did. I, didn't, I didn't prep you. Oh, I was so good on this podcast. That <laughs> was so good. What an ambush. You did. I deserve it. No, you did smoke one. No, don't stop. You can't stop doing this because I loved it. I won't. I, I had what? Don't worry. I won't. What was my What was my routine after I hit a great shot? I'm just like kind of icy silence, right? 
you grab your back and you do a half stretch towards the ground and talk to me about how you should have taken more Advil. That's your routine. <laughs> well, what about when I had the three pars and four holes, holes right before I right before that started, I told you something in my back cracked. I feel really good. And then I had like I ripped off a couple great holes. And then it started you to lock a up weird, again. Yeah. You took a weird swing and you're like L4 vertebrae dislodged. <laughs> and then you you started ripping off 30 foot putts. And yeah. after the last one, you looked at me, you're like, I love golf. This is great. <laughs> Three holes early. You've been like, why do we do this? We're yeah. too old for this. I want to go home. And then I had it, a, it was classic. The golf gods fired you back up. They yeah. gave you wildlife. They gave you me hitting huge drives. It was a great afternoon. And then, uh, yeah, I had three pars and four holes. I think I, I went triple bogey, par, par, triple bogey, par, triple bogey, which is really why I stopped playing golf because I can't handle the swings. Nathan Hubbard, we'll talk about this more later. Thanks for uh, quickly popping on. Thank you, Bill. All right. <laughs> Thanks to uh, House Jacko and uh, unpaid ringer intern Nathan Hubbard. Thanks to ZipCrew. Don't forget to go to ZipCrew.com slash BS. Coming back, uh, one more podcast this week. Our friend Bill Hader is on. Until then.